God gives and he takes away. Isn't that what we sing? God gives and he takes away. God gives and he takes away and when we sing it, we say, but my heart will say, blessed be your name. Isn't that what we say? It's easy to sing it. It's easy to say it. But if you've experienced it, isn't it hard to do it? God gives and he takes away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. We've been in a series that we've called The Dash. And you've heard us say it each week. We're taking a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've said that from the time of your birth till the time of your death, what you live in between is your dash. And we've illustrated it with an, with an image, this image that looks like this. And, and sometimes we might think that, that our life in the dash looks maybe more like this. You know, from the time of your birth till the time of your death, and, and you've got all of the different age ranges in between. But I don't know about you, that's not at all what my life looks like. And beyond that, I actually hope my life looks better than that. If, if you're like me, and I, I bet you probably are, I bet you hope that your life looks more like this. You know, if you were to chart it on a graph, you know, this is quantity of life and this is quality of life. We're hoping everything moves up and to the right and every little box represents some kind of memorable moment, some kind of significant thing that takes place inside our lives and everything's just always going up and to the right from the time of my birth till the time of my death. It's just getting better and it's just getting better and it's just getting better. And if you hear some preachers preach, some of them might lead you to believe that even with life's ups and downs, as soon as you place your faith in Christ, everything becomes this chart. Everything becomes up and to the right. But again, this is what I hope, but it's not really been my experience. <laughs> it's not been my experience at all. Maybe your experience is more like this. It's more like mine. Maybe it looks like that. <laughs> That's sort of the nature of my life. There's sort of significant moments that I just can't remember anymore, that, are just, that I've just lost, and there's, there's ups, and there's downs, and there's ins, and there's outs, and there's this time when I was in college that, well, kids don't ask me about college because I don't want to tell you about that. You know, there's just moments, mistakes that you've made, or opportunities that you've missed, or tragedy that's come because life is filled with ups and downs. This is actually far more accurate to what your life looks like, right? Up, down, over, around, backwards, sideways, and then eventually it's over. God gives and he takes away. Man, aren't you glad you came to church today? Words of encouragement. It's good. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And we're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 11 in just a minute. Maybe you've got a paper copy of God's Word. Maybe you've got it on your device. In just a moment, it'll be up on the screen as well, so you can read it from there as well. But this series we've been in has really shown us some things. And one of the things that I think is incredible is several weeks ago, we were talking about our relationships and how our relationships reveal the maturity of our faith and they refine the quality of our faith. And then a, a week after that, we started talking about how Ecclesiastes looks at the, the, how we use money and the, the, just the way money comes to us and comes, goes from us. And we, we talked about that. And it's interesting, just like relationships, what we saw in the book of Ecclesiastes is that our, our approach to money reveals the maturity of our faith and it refines the quality 
of our faith. And then we talked about worship, our approach to our Heavenly Father, our worship, the worship of our King, of God Himself. And, and when we come into this space and this place for a service, that worship is so much bigger than a song or a sermon or a service. It's so much bigger than that, that the heart of worship is someone we love. And we have this incredible privilege of worshiping the God we love with the people we love. And what we found is that our approach to worship reveals the maturity of our faith and it refines the quality of our faith. And then last week, Chris was preaching and, and he talked about how we approach the end of our life, just those, the, the end of our days when the, you know, God's made us to live here a number of days and then something else comes. And it's interesting because what we saw is that how you approach the end of life reveals the maturity of your faith and it refines the quality of your faith. It's almost like it's a GPS where it shows you this is where you are and if you want to get somewhere else, that quality of life, if you want it to go up and to the right, if you want it to be better, you've got to take a step in this direction because I've shown you where you are and I've shown you where you need to go next. And that's what we're going to see today from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to see that how you handle life's ups and downs, how you handle the tragedies of life and the victories of life, the good times and the bad, how you handle the suffering and the comfort reveals the maturity of your faith and it refines the quality of faith. That's what we're going to see in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 today. And we're going to see uh, what we need to do about it. Now, as you know, it's clear, uh, everybody has experienced this. We know that life gives and we know that life takes away. There was a moment uh, for some of us when we were, you know, when, when you were really athletic and you could run fast and you could run far and you could jump high and maybe today... Um, that's just not the case. It's Father's Day, and I love my dad. He's in his 80s now. And um, one of the things I love to do, I love to tease my dad, but I got that from him because he used to love to tease me, and he still does. And it's, it's crazy just kind of some of the things that we do to each other. But it's, it's funny. He lives in Oklahoma City now, and he teases that, that you can't be a part of his Sunday school class in Oklahoma City if you have all of your original parts um, because everybody in his Sunday school class has had a hip replaced or a knee replaced or a shoulder replaced. You can't, and, and when they have their Sunday school fellowships, it's kind of like a walker convention because they're, they're all walking in. When my dad walks, he's either walking on a walker or he's got two canes. When he's really awesome, he's, he's got a scooter that he gets on, and with 1.21 gigawatts of power, he can win any race that their class has because his scooter's just awesome. But that's because his legs just don't work like they used to. His body is just not the same as it once was. He's older now. Life gives and life takes away. And for a long time now, he's known that I have great eyesight. I can see stuff in the back of the room. I can see individual faces. I don't have, any hard, I don't have a hard time seeing it all. But for a long time, he's been looking at me saying, enjoy it while you can because there's coming a day when you're going to need glasses. You're just going to need it. I've been able to see little things and up close things. And, and, you know, he's a prophet because today... For the very first time, as we go to read Scripture, life gives and life takes away. I'm going to have to pull these things out and put them on. And i got to tell you, it's just awkward for me because I've never had to wear glasses before. And when I put these things on, they're just reading glasses. When I put these on, y'all are a blurry mess right now. I can't see you at all, but if I look at my Scriptures, I'll be able to see them just fine. See, I can see what the Bible says right now. But when I look up, y'all are like big blobs. So you look good today, good, good blobs. And so it may be awkward for me to move in and out of my glasses, but, but that's what I'm going to do as I read this. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And we have a practice here. We like to stand in 
honor of the reading of God's word. Let's go ahead and do that now. We like to stand because it reminds us that this is God's word spoken to us and not simply the opinion of man. When I get finished reading it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond by saying, praise be to God. So let me see if I can get these readers on, and you guys will go from the lovely people that you are to the lovely blobs that you will be. And then I can now read the passage. That's awesome. I can see it now. So here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap, as you do not know what the way the spirit uh, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks so much. You can be seated. And like I said, it's going to be awkward because I'm not used to using these. And I really do need to take these off to be able to see you. And I can see this a little bit, but put them back on to see. And life gives and takes away. It gives and it takes away. The question will be, how will you handle life's ups and downs? How will you handle it when tragedy comes, when something difficult strikes? Because how you handle it reveals the maturity of your faith and refines the quality of your faith, just like a GPS shows you right where you are. And if you have an intent for where you, where you want to be, it'll show you this is where you are and this is where you can go next. And so there's several things we're going to see from this passage that will help us understand where we are and where we're going. And the first one is in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Maybe I should just use a magnifying glass instead. This is awesome. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, this verse is actually related to a set of verses that come before it in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I think it's unique how Solomon speaks to all of these things. Remember, Solomon was the wisest king to ever live. He was the richest king of Israel that they ever knew. So he had lots of money. He had lots of people who were smart, who were around him, who served him. He was popular. He was powerful. He was prominent. He was all of those things. People all over the world came to Solomon for his wisdom. And he's exploring here what is it that makes life memorable, what is it that makes life meaningful, and he comes to a conclusion. We'll talk about that conclusion in just a little bit, but in this passage, he's actually still talking about the way we handle our finances, and he says, cast your bread upon the waters. For many days it will return to you. You might think that that has to do with generosity, but it's really not about generosity. It's really about how you save your money and how you invest, how you save and how you invest your money. We're going to apply it in a sense that's broader than money. Money because I think it has more to do than with just money. But when you talk about this idea of cast your bread upon the waters, he's talking about the way you invest your life and your things 
in other people and in other opportunities. I wonder as a father if right now the way you're managing your finances is going to allow you to someday leave an inheritance for your children. Will it someday allow you to leave an inheritance for your children's children? See, that's a matter of saving. That's a matter of investing. It's a matter of casting your bread upon the water. And so here's something that I think is a relevant principle to pull out of this idea in terms of not just financially, but with our life in general. Catch this, that not everything that comes to you is for you. That's an important principle for us to catch. And it's easy to see that in our finances. When we save money or when we invest money, what we're actually doing is we're saying, I don't intend to use all of this on me and my needs right now. I'm going to put some of it away to use later. Or possibly, I'm going to put some of it away so that my children can have an inheritance or my children's children can have an inheritance. Not everything that comes to me is always for me. And so as a result of that, because not everything that comes to me is for me, I'm going to take what I'm given and I'm going to try to recognize what is this? Is this something that's for me or is this something that I've been made a steward of that I should make available to someone else? Easy to see that in our finances, but that's also true for the rest of our lives. Not just simply how we save money and what we do with our finances, but what you do with your time, what you do with your skills and with your talent. Not everything that comes to you is necessarily just for you. The position you have at work, the prominence you have in your workspace, the things that you do in the community, not everything that comes to you is necessarily for you. We actually saw that played out on this platform today. An incredible group of musicians up here playing some great music, and I know that each of them has put in hours and hours and hours of practice to sharpen and hone this skill that they have as musicians. God has given them this talent. God has given them this skill, but not everything that's come to them is for them. And so today, as an act of worship, they stood on this platform to worship their Heavenly Father. And as they did that, they were able to encourage and bless an entire congregation. They were able to use who they were and what they had for the benefit of others. Cast your bread upon the waters. That's what that means when I say, not everything that comes to you is for you. So I wonder what it is that you have right now or that you know or that you can do right now that's, that's part of your life. It's a part of who you are, but it's not really designed to be yours and yours alone. It's designed to be something that you share with the world or something that you give away to someone else or something that you employ on, be, on behalf of the benefit of someone else. I wonder what that is. I wonder what that talent or that knowledge is. It actually tells me one more thing about how I should approach my life in Christ and my life as a believer. I believe that we should take risks that honor God. I just think that's what we should do. We should take risks that honor God. I know a group of students, about 10 people that just a few weeks ago, they went to England for the purpose of sharing the gospel with people. There's a pastor here today. His name's Peseth. He's from Cambodia. And he's a pastor in Cambodia. He's someone we've partnered with in missions. And right now, he's here learning some things, developing some relationships. But on any given Sunday in Cambodia, there's the potential that his life and his livelihood could be threatened simply because he's taking the risk of preaching the gospel in his home country. We ought to take risks that honor God. You know, it's the kind of question that, that if, if it honors God and it's a risk, we might ought to explore it. And more than that, if it honors God and it's clear that God's in it, 
We should do more than explore it. We should pursue it wholeheartedly. We should take risks that are life-shaping, story-making, breathtaking, bet the farm, leave it all on the field. If God doesn't come through, all is lost, kinds of risks that honor God. We should do that, that we should be those kinds of people. We should take the kinds of risks that cause people to shake their head when they look at our lives and go, I don't have any idea how your life works. Wait, you're telling me you give away money and, and still have enough to pay your bills? You tell me you're saving money for your children's children and you still have enough money to pay your bills? You're telling me that you prayed for your boss at work and he didn't fire you? You're telling me that, that you gave credit away at work for that project, you gave it to someone else because you knew they needed the raise and the promotion more than you did? You're telling me, wait, you took the risk you took the risk of stepping into someone's home, someone that you didn't know from Adam, but they said they had a need and you volunteered for the furniture ministry and you showed up in a part of town that you never darkened the door of that maybe scares you a little bit. You showed up in their home to deliver a bed or to deliver a table or to help them in some capacity. Some of you, some of you have been out in disaster relief, uh, working the floods. You've been showing up in people's homes to help with mud out and to help with chainsaw crews and to help feed people. And You took that kind of risk for the sake of someone else? Yeah, why'd you do that? Well, because, my God, he took a risk on me. And it was a risk that he thought was worth it. And it was, a, it was one that honored him. And if he didn't come through, all was lost. But guess what God did? He came through. We should take risks that honor God. Well, let me just meddle just a little bit. Some of you are married couples. And, and right now, you're afraid to risk your happiness for some kind of radical version of faithfulness. You're thinking about opting out because you're just not happy. Well, okay. Life gives and it takes away. But let me challenge you. What if you risked your happiness? for a radical version of faithfulness to one another? What if you did that? What if you risked your reputation in this community so that you could irrationally give to the people around you of your time and of your talent and of your resources? What would happen to this community if you took that risk to just be irrationally generous to the world around you, to say the kind thing instead of the mean thing, to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing, even though the wrong thing might get you ahead? What if you took that risk? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. We ought to be the people, of all the people in this town, of all the people in this generation, we ought to be the people because of the Spirit of Christ that lives in us, because of what God has done through us, because of the ups and downs that we've experienced, we ought to be those people that take breathtaking, story-making, life-changing, bet the farm, leave it all on the field. If God doesn't come through, all fails. If God doesn't come through, all is lost kinds of risks for the glory of God and for His kingdom. We ought to be those people and if you're not, I'm just asking, what are you waiting for? That's the place to be. You know why? Because the sun is going to rise and it's going to set on the good people and the bad people. And good stuff and bad stuff is going to happen to the good people and the bad people. To the people who follow Christ and the people who don't. Wouldn't it be great to live the adventure that is seeing God do something in you and through you that can't possibly be explained 
because of you. How do you do that? Well, you take risks that honor God. That's what Solomon figured out in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. So there's more to it than that. Take risks that honor God because not everything that comes to you is necessarily for you. Look at verses 2 through 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Go back to verse 2. This is the place where the principle is found. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Here's the thing. You ought to build your life. You ought to build your life with people that challenge and inspire your faith. That's, that's what that means, to give to seven or eight. You ought to build your life with people who challenge and inspire your faith. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about what it meant to have godly relationships, the kinds of relationships that are founded on this word. But what I mean when I say build your life with people that challenge and inspire your faith is I mean you ought to have some friendships. You ought to have the kinds of relationships where someone in your life is willing to walk through the fire with you. You ought to build your life like that. You ought, to, you ought to be looking for, you ought to be praying for, you ought to be searching for those kinds of relationships where you're so committed to this other person that I'd be willing to walk through the fire with them. When their life is falling apart, I'll walk through the fire with them. Do you have, do you have friendships like that? Do you have relationships like that? You need to be that kind of person in order to have that kind of relationship. That you would build your life with the kinds of people who would inspire and who would challenge your faith. It's actually one of the reasons why I'm so blessed to be a part of this group of people, this church. I look at our groups on a regular basis, and there are people in groups here who have lifelong kinds of sustainable, lasting friendships with one another. And I've seen people here go through some of the worst of marriage conditions, and some of the worst health conditions, and some of the worst moments of their life, and they've none, not, not one of them have I seen go through it alone. They've gone through it with people they love and with people who love them. And it's because they're a part of a group here in the life of this church. It's not the organization of groups in our church that makes the difference. It's the people who make up those groups that make the difference. And I've shown up in hospital rooms where the nurses and the doctors are asking questions, who are you people? I've never known somebody who's had this much support in this kind of trial. Who are you people? Well, these are just their friends. They're not family? No, they're not family. You didn't pay these people to be here? Uh, no, we couldn't pay people for that. Um, these are just people who, they just love each other. We ought to be those people who are willing to go through the, the fire with one. You know, when we have the ups of life, it's great to have a great close friend that you can celebrate that with. And when life is on the downturn, well, that actually tells us who our friends are, doesn't it? When things aren't going our way, when people show up in that moment of tragedy, when people show up to pray for us, to stand with us, to talk to us, to encourage us, to inspire us, to live with us, to help us, to give to us, to be generous, those are the people that it just reveals who are those people that inspire and challenge our faith. There's a familiar story. It's the kind of people that I'll talk about here in just a second. It's, it's a story that's familiar to you, and I know it's familiar because it's a story that I've told before, but there's a story about a man who's walking down the street, and he falls into a hole. You've heard this story. He's looking in the hole. He's falling in the hole. He can't get out. It's just too deep. It's too wide. He just can't get out on his own, and a priest walks by. The priest looks down into the hole. He goes, man, you're stuck in a hole. 
wow, that's terrible. And the guy in the bottom of the hole says, yeah, buddy, can you help me out? I'd like to get out. And the priest says, well, I don't know what I can do, but I'll, I'll do this. I'll pray for you. And the priest walks on, and the guy's still stuck in the hole. And then a psychiatrist walks by. A psychiatrist walks by, looks at the man down in the hole, says, man, that stinks. You're in a hole. That's terrible. I can't believe you fell into that hole. Buddy, can you help me? I'm stuck in this hole. Help me out. Psychiatrist goes, well, you know, I, I can't help you right now, but I, I do have this new book coming out that will tell you three ways to avoid this hole in the future. If you'll just come see me after you get out of the hole, I'll give you the book for free, but I'll charge you $100 an hour just so we can chat. You know, and then so, so he does that. He walks on. Guy's still stuck in the bottom of the hole. Then a friend walks by, close friend. Close friend looks down into the hole. Before the guy even has a chance to ask for help, the friend jumps into the hole. And now the friend in the hole, is, he's like, are you crazy? Now we're both stuck in this hole. What are we going to do? And the friend just says something very simple, but so profound. You don't understand. I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. So let's go. Are you that kind of a friend to someone else? Do you have that kind of friend in your life? Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. We need to take risks that honor God. We need to recognize that just because it comes to you doesn't necessarily mean that it's for you. We need to build our lives. You need to build your life with people that will challenge and will inspire your faith. Why? Well, because God gives and he takes away. Can you in your heart honestly say, blessed be your name? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. This is the next principle we'll see. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I actually want to point something out. You'll have to go back further, and we don't have all of this on the screen. Verse 8 says something interesting. It says, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So we've got the old and the young. Being old is vanity. Being young is vanity. Why? Because the days of darkness, because the days of darkness are many. Well, what are those days of darkness? Well, the days of darkness could be the tragedies that come, but the days of darkness could also be the fact that your life is going to end at some point, and at the point that it ends, it's nothing but darkness afterwards. Or is it? So for a believer, there's something after. There's something after that moment of death. For someone who is a follower of Christ, for someone who walks with him, there is a moment after the end of our days that becomes our next step of faith. It becomes a step into glory. It becomes a step into eternity. It becomes a step into something that's indescribable. And so the last principle that I want us to see today is that we need to walk with God when he gives and when he takes away. We need to walk with God when he gives 
and when he takes away. And isn't that one of our challenges, especially as Americanized Christians? We believe that the definition of God's goodness in our life is everything is moving up and to the right. We believe that the definition of God's favor in our life is that everything's going my way. My bank account's going to get bigger. My life's going to get easier. My hurts are going to be smaller. And everything's going to get better. Why? Well, because I'm a Christian. But the problem with that is, is that's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't promise us that everything's going to go our way. The Bible promises us that the God of this universe will be with us wherever our life may go. So in the good times, God is with you. Let's celebrate. And in the bad times, God is with you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what does it mean for us to walk with God? How do we actually do that? How do we step by step? Remember I said how we handle life's ups and downs. It reveals the maturity of our faith and it refines the quality of our faith. Like a GPS, it shows us where we are and what our next step of faith should be. Well, there's a verse that we've been trying to memorize and it too comes from Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. How many of you will be honest and you'll say, I've been trying real hard to memorize that verse? Just trying. Good job to you guys who have been trying. If you, how many of you will just brag a little bit and say, I've succeeded. I know it. I've got it memorized. Yeah, that's good. Smaller group, but that's awesome. I want to challenge you to memorize this verse because this verse isn't simply the verse through which you can understand all of Ecclesiastes. It's actually a verse that you can use to understand all of life. It is that GPS verse. So look at what this says. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. It says, the end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he's telling us what will happen, but he's also telling us how we can keep things, how we can keep ourselves sane in the middle of the terrible times, and how we can keep ourselves grounded in the middle of the times of triumph and celebration. How can we do that? The conclusion of the matter... All has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the formula. That's the algorithm. That's the way we keep ourselves grounded in the moments when things are going great and we keep ourselves sane when things are just terrible and things are, things are, are, are difficult. We fear God and keep his commandments. Now, there's a, there's a more specific way for us to do that that's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's trying to tell them, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is how you do that. And he says this in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, here's what he needs to do. He needs to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Jesus says what it means to fear God and keep his commandments is, is this. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. Well, what does it mean to deny yourself? Remember at the very beginning I said just because it comes to you doesn't mean that it's for you. That's what denying yourself is. It's recognizing that in this moment, this victory that I've experienced that has come to me, that has made me financially successful, that has made me politically influential, that has made me the, the, the person in our family that, that when I speak, everybody in the family pays attention, that the person that in your business has, has made you the most successful operator in your business, just because it comes to you, 
doesn't necessarily mean it's for you. How will you employ that position? How will you employ that prominence? How will you employ those finances and those resources and those talents? How will you employ that for the benefit of someone else? Just because it comes to you. Denial. How do you deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him? Just because it comes to you doesn't mean that it's for you. And you know what? The same thing's true with tragedy. My finances fell apart. I got sick. And now I'm going to the doctor every X number of days and I've got to sit through these things and it's just painful and it just hurts. Just because it came to you doesn't mean it's for you. The tragedy you're experiencing today may be the experience that allows you to give the encouragement and the training and the guidance that somebody else needs tomorrow. I did everything right I followed all the rules. I sold more than anyone else. I served more than anyone else. And I still lost my job. Just because it came to you doesn't mean that it's for you. And now because you're surrounded by people who love you, they're helping. And they have an opportunity to be generous to you in ways they could never have been generous to you before. And now you have an opportunity to learn something about your own faith and the faith of your friends that you've never seen before. And this moment of tragedy becomes a moment of encouragement for someone later because you've had this experience. And isn't that the nature of temptation? That something has come to you that isn't really for you? Isn't the nature of temptation wanting something that's not rightfully yours? Isn't that the nature of temptation? I want what I want when I want it, and I want what I want right now, and it's come to me, so it's come to me. It must mean God's in it, right? Because it came to me. No, not everything that comes to you is for you, and that includes temptation. So guys, you're flipping through the channels, and you see that thing, or you're on the computer, or you've got your phone out, or that temptation shows up right before your eyes just because it comes to you. It doesn't mean that it's for you, Right? So you deny yourself. You say no. Because in the maturity of your faith, you can recognize that God's purpose and his plan and his desire for you are so much better. And I'm willing to risk being holy at the cost of my own personal satisfaction. I'm willing to risk not being popular in order to fulfill the righteous thing in order to do the right thing the right way for the right reason. I'm willing to risk all of that because not everything that comes to me, including temptation, is for me. Which leads us naturally to the second part of that verse, Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and then take up his cross daily and follow him. What does that mean to take up your cross daily? Well, the cross was an instrument of suffering. It was an instrument of torture. More than anything else, for Jesus Christ, it was an instrument of sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's giving more than you think you can afford and trusting God to provide. It's exactly what Abraham did with Isaac. 
Isaac was the son of promise. God said, I promise I'm going to give you a boy and I'll make, your, I'll make your sons as many as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. Abraham's an old man. He has one child. And God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And without hesitation, Abraham believed that sacrifice is giving more than I think I can afford and I can trust God to provide. He willingly took Isaac up Mount Moriah and he said, he raised the knife up, I believe God will provide. He was ready, he was ready to sacrifice his own son more than he could possibly afford. He trusted God to provide. And just before the dagger fell, God says, wait, you passed the test. You're willing to sacrifice for me. And guess what God did? He provided the sacrifice that was needed. I told you about my dad earlier. He's in his 80s now. and You know, he was born at a time when uh, abortion just wasn't an option for people at all. Just not an option. Um, socially, it wasn't an option. Legally, it wasn't an option. And his, uh, his mom was about 15 or 16. And she and her boyfriend, well, she got pregnant. And they had kind of a shotgun wedding. Um, and then within a week, the wedding was annulled. Wedding was annulled. And my dad's biological father denies having anything to do with that. He denies the whole story. And and here's the 16-year-old girl who's going through one of the most tragic moments of her life because, you know, being a mom, being a wife was something since a little girl she dreamt of, but not like this. So here she is in the middle of this very shameful in that time tragedy for her, very personal. And at the same time, this was not in Oklahoma City, it was south of there, but at the same time, here's this other family in Oklahoma City. And this other family has had two daughters. Both of these daughters died as infants. One just a few days after they were born, one within three years. They've just experienced a tragedy. She's experienced a tragedy. They've experienced a tragedy. And out of that tragedy, this couple who, they loved God, and they prayed, and they asked God for favor, and the children still didn't survive. They just add, and, and God said, here's what I think you should do. I think you should adopt. And so in the middle of one tragedy, they were able to meet someone in their tragedy. <laughs> and my father was adopted by Oval and Winnie Balthrop. And my life has never been the same. Here's this couple who took a risk a breathtaking, story-making, life-shaping, bet-the-farm-if-God-doesn't-come-through-all-is-lost kind of risk to adopt a child that wasn't their own and to bring that child into their life to make him their own. And my father's life has never been the same. They sacrificed financially. They sacrificed their time. They sacrificed for me and for my brother. And because of it, my faith isn't the same. They looked at my dad's biological mom and said, hmm, I see the hole you're in. I've been in a hole like that before, and I know the way out. They helped her. Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to surround yourself with people who will walk through the fire with you better than that? Are you ready to be the person that will walk through the fire with someone else? Will you deny yourself? Take up your cross, make the sacrifice, and follow him.
me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. You know, today, how you handle those ups and downs matters. It reveals the maturity of your faith. It refines the quality of your faith. And I don't know whether you're experiencing a moment of celebration right now or if you're experiencing a moment of failure right now. But whatever it is, can I just encourage you that God is with you and that God is for you. And, and he, he wants you to know that you're not alone in this. And whatever you face, he is moving, he's moving mountains to reveal himself to you. Maybe today you need to take some time at this altar to just simply surrender to that idea that not everything that comes to me is for me. You need to surrender to that idea that I need to make some sacrifices for the sake of someone else. Maybe this altar is the place where you need to make that confession. Maybe you're someone who you don't have a relationship with, with God yet. You don't know the Heavenly Father. And maybe you just need to say to Him, I want to place my faith in you. I want to trust in you for the forgiveness of sins. I don't, I don't understand all of it. I don't get all of it. I don't know if I believe all of it, but I believe enough to know that I have some questions. Well, you could come forward during the time that we're singing right now. You could respond, not to my words, but to God's word. And you could respond to what he's saying to you today and just simply say, I give myself to you, God. I don't know what, I'm, I don't know what it means, but I, but I give myself to you. Maybe you could do that today and place your faith in him. As we sing in just a moment, however you need to respond to God, make that moment something significant for you.